welcome to another Charity Chat podcast with your host, Usman Mughal. Today I have the pleasure to speak with Alison Baum, Chief Executive at Best Beginnings. Best Beginnings is a national charity that works to engage, educate and empower parents and caregivers to give children the best start. In my conversation with Alison, we touched on her inspiring journey to become Chief Executive, the vision and mission of Best Beginnings, and how the pandemic has impacted the organisation and its beneficiaries. Alison also speaks about the charity's NHS-approved Baby Buddy app, a free, multi-award-winning, interactive pregnancy and parenting guide that's been used by over 300,000 parents since 2014. A new beta version of the app has just been released and is ready to download from the App Store and Google Play. It's a vital tool to support the physical and emotional health of mums, dads, co-parents and caregivers, as well as a resource to enhance communication with early years and healthcare professionals. The team at Best Beginnings is inviting everyone to become part of the journey as beta testers, to use it, benefit from it and give feedback so it can be even better now and in the future. You'll find it if you search for Baby Buddy in the App Store or Google Play and download the purple icon. In this podcast, we also explore the key findings of a report which Best Beginnings published in partnership with Homestart and Parent Infant Foundation during the pandemic, titled Babies in Lockdown. We also discuss how Best Beginnings has continued to support the emotional well-being and mental health of their staff during this challenging time. And we address the important topic of equity, diversity and inclusion. We end with Alison sharing what she loves about this sector and the key challenges too. This podcast is brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Charity People. And here is my conversation with Alison. Hi, Alison. It's great to have you on today and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's really wonderful to be here. I wanted to get an insight into your background and career before we delve into other matters. How did the roles that you've held prior to becoming chief executive, how did they set you up for success in your current role? And what really attracted you to the charity sector? Life is a journey. I wouldn't have expected I would end up doing what I'm doing, but always I've known from being really a young person, a, a child, that I wanted to have uh, make a difference in the world. Um, so um, I've only had three jobs, but they're very different, all of them, on one level, kind of on the outside. But if you look in, the skills that have been developed in each of them have laid the foundations for, for, for what I'm doing now. So um, I'm actually a scientist by background. Uh, my first degree was biology. And then I did a master's in neuroscience. And I'd always planned to take that academic route. 
But actually, off the back of my master's, I realised I was more of a communicator of science or ideas rather than someone that wants to be stuck at the, the bench. There's anyway far too many scientists in my family and I wanted to do something different. So I made this shocking decision to leave academia and I uh, got my foot in the door at the BBC and stayed there for um, almost 10 years making science documentaries. So using the science background and I guess uh, I'm just interested in people, what makes people tick. Uh, also, I guess quite a creative person. So um, I spent nearly 10 years making science documentaries and that might have been a career for life. I mean, I certainly thought it was my job for life. I loved it. Um, meeting some of the leading lights in a, across the world and then capturing their ideas and making them accessible to everyone on the, on the TV, um, whether it was Horizon or Tomorrow's World or whatever it was. Um, but life is a journey and uh, a few things happen that led me to do what I'm doing now. Um, there were three difficult things, but each of them has led to what I'm doing now. So um, my uncle was an inspirational man. Uh, I've got many uncles and they are inspirational um, and aunties too. But my uncle David uh, was particularly close to my heart. He was a, um, a pediatrician who was uh, inspirational. He worked... Uh, internationally and was passionate about the rights of the child and really thinking about families um, and we're a very close family and I was inspired by him and he used to always tell me the story of uh, the starfish about this idea that you should always make a difference when you can and he taught that to me and to my cousins anyway uh, just over 20 years ago he died very suddenly of a massive coronary when he was only 59 um, and it was devastating to me and all my family and so many people that knew him internationally and in the UK. Um, and uh, my family worked with the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, and we set up a, a foundation called the David Baum International Foundation. And I was really proud of that work, and it spearheaded the international work of the Royal College. And I was still back at the BBC. I was still at the BBC. And then it was my own personal journey as a mum and my transition to become a mum that um, led to this big life shift in terms of my career, I guess. Um, I had two boys. Uh, they are now just 20 and nearly 18. And they were born a uh, bit early and pretty poorly. And both of them in different ways. Um, and uh, both under the care of Great Ormond Street, um, multiple hospitals, operations, and my youngest also had uh, meningitis as a newborn. And here was I, a middle-class mum from an educated family, trained to ask questions, to seek support with a network of family and friends. And even with all of that extra support, I was just lucky enough to have it was still overwhelming. And that made me realize how much hard it would have been if English wasn't my first language or um, if uh, I hadn't been given that confidence to challenge, to ask the doctors or nurses questions. And then I became aware of the shocking inequalities that exist in outcomes across the UK. So for example, a baby born in Birmingham is four times more likely to die before their first birthday than a baby born in Bath. 
And right now in the UK, if you are a, uh, if you're black um, as a pregnant woman, you are more than four times more likely to die before uh, during your pregnancy. Um, and it's not okay. So I set up the charity to shift that, to drive change, to improve outcomes across the board, but with this really clear focus. It's been unwavering for the last nearly 15 years of working to close the gap, to reduce inequality, so that whatever your background as a parent, you can um, have the knowledge and confidence to look after yourself and also give your, your child the best beginning. So it's it's funny you asked what attracted me to the charitable sector. It I guess it was life's events. It was not that I ever set about. I would never have planned to be a charity CEO. I had life experiences, um, and I had a series of skill sets, including I guess the tenacity to to um, make things happen. Um, the filmmaking skills, the filmmaking has been central to a lot of what we've done as a charity at Best Beginnings. Uh, we exist as a charity to, to improve outcomes and reduce inequalities. And we've always done that using film, art, technology, really whatever it takes. Um, so yeah, life is a journey and I couldn't imagine being anywhere other than where I am right now. Thank you, Alison, for sharing your personal story with us and your journey and it's very inspiring to hear that through certain challenges and certain life experiences you were able to use them as inspiration to move forward and advance change for thousands and millions of parents today and that's where I want to focus on now. For those that may not be aware of Best Beginnings as an organisation, could you outline what is the aim and mission of the organisation? What is it that you're trying to achieve? So Best Beginnings exists to give every child the best start. Um, we focus from preconception to the fifth birthday, where there's an abundance of evidence that the foundations for a happy and healthy life are laid. Um, they sometimes say early intervention is good, and we say yes, and earlier intervention is better. So it's about giving knowledge and confidence to families of all backgrounds so that they can have agency over their own health and well-being, access the services and information and support that is there, and be confident and able to seek help if they need it, to understand that it's okay to not be okay, to understand where you can get more help if you need it. And also, so there's a, a mental aspect, the mental health aspect of what we do, supporting uh, the, the mental health of, of families. And there's also the physical aspect. So for example, one of the reasons um, that black women are more likely to die in pregnancy is actually there is structural racism um, and it's about assumptions being made maybe there's, there, it's complex and I don't want to simplify it to oblivion but it's about giving people agency and confidence to say no this doesn't feel right I don't feel this is right I need to be seen by a doctor you know it's giving people that the, the, the information they need and the confidence they need but it's not only about working to empower the parents. We've also very proudly always worked with frontline multidisciplinary professionals, so midwives, health visitors, GPs, and, and more, to support them in the work they do with families and to support the relationship between parents and professionals. And I guess the way we do it, mostly 
although there are other ways, is embracing film and technology. So we have a, uh, an app um, uh, which we've worked on for over a decade. Um, and the first version has uh, been used by more than 300,000 parents. And we've got evidence of the impact it's having. It's got more than 300 films in. It's called an app, but it's really a world. Someone in my team called it a TARDIS, you know, like Doctor Who, because it looks little on the outside, but you go inside and there's a, a world of information and support. Following years and years and years of work, um, we've got a fantastic um, dedicated team and a fantastic parent panel because co-creation underpins everything that we do, working with parents, for parents. Uh, and we've also got a brilliant editorial board of experts by profession as opposed to the parents' experts by experience. really vital thank you for that Alison and in terms of the way the app was produced was it produced in consultation with your beneficiaries and other stakeholders oh absolutely uh, uh, many 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 times so the the idea for the app was first um conceived 2010-11 um until then as a charity we'd been informing and empowering parents through DVDs because DVDs had their day uh, but then it became clear that apps was going to be where it was at. It took us a long time to secure the funding. Uh, and even during that period, I had a fantastic pro bono market researcher. We were working with parents. At that point, we didn't have a formal parent panel. We now have this wonderful parent panel of diverse families from across the UK that anyone listening can, can join uh, if they literally email parent panel at bestbeginnings.org.uk, uh, but it was uh, listening to lots of parents, but because of our focus on reducing inequalities, we've always listened to more parents from communities or backgrounds who are at high risk of poor outcomes to ensure that what we create really delivers to their needs. And also long before we got the funding, um, even in our first years as a charity, we have been lucky enough to work with all these relevant rural colleges the paediatricians, the midwives, the health visitors and more. Um, and we had an a advisory group, as it was called then. They are now our editorial board um, and they helped us shape the app from a content perspective. But in terms of the look and the feel and the tone, that was totally led by what parents uh, needed. And the first version was... Um, aimed primarily at mothers because I hadn't managed to secure funding for the father's uh, content pathway and uh, information. But uh, during just before lockdown, we secured additional funding from the National Lottery to create this new version. Now, it wasn't that we did consultation back in 2010, 11, 12, 13, before we launched originally, and then nothing till now. Over all of those intervening years, we've added new films for example, we did a whole set around um, maternal and infant and paternal mental health. And those were all developed uh, with a huge amount of consultation with diverse parents. And over the years, we have been getting in-app feedback and uh, through focus groups. And the app has evolved and will continue to evolve with input from the parents and, and the professionals that use it. Absolutely. I think that's that's spot on, Alison. It's so important to ensure that 
the lived experience of your beneficiaries is understood and also implemented with the app itself. And I know you've had a very busy yes, it's not only the app that you've been working on, but Best Beginnings did publish a report last year in 2020 called Babies in Lockdown, where you also work with partners. Could you share with our audience how this report came about and what were the key areas that the report highlighted? Absolutely. You know, your collaboration is one of kind of uh, our guiding principles. So it's not just working with other, other parent, with parents and professionals, but working with other charities. Best Beginnings is part of a number of groups, including, for example, the First Thousand and One Days um, Movement, uh, the Maternal Mental Health Alliance. We're one of the Heads Together charity partners. We've convened a group of uh, more than 40 organisations together with the Early Years Digital Partnership. So we're always, what do they say? You can get there quickly alone, but further together. Um, and um, the moment uh, the first, that the pandemic was hitting, um, before the first lockdown, um, I reached out to a number of different charity CEOs that I network with anyway, and we were having various meetings. Um, we were in touch with each other, thinking about what we could do to support our beneficiaries, but also share learning as different charity CEOs about how we were managing the pandemic in terms of our team. So as a charity that is passionate about using data to inform what we do, not just to work from the evidence, but to contribute to it, we very quickly, we have a PhD student within the charity, we, she developed um, and launched a survey getting parental experiences from within BabyBuddy, so of BabyBuddy users, um, and then also we were doing work with other members of the thousand and one first thousand and one days movement. And anyway, it became clear through some of that that our next stage, which was an external survey, not just for baby buddy users, other people were also considering. So we just decided to do it together. So it was Best Beginnings, Homestart UK and the Parent Infant Foundation but with input from other charities who helped us uh, shape the survey and also from the Chief Midwifery Officer uh, of England and others. And that survey was answered by more than 5,700 uh, parents across the UK. We worked really hard to work with, um, to ensure representation from, uh, uh, to ensure voices from communities who are um, historically have been underserved and we, you know, we work to try and change that. And the findings, in a nutshell, the pandemic is exacerbating underlying inequalities. Um, the experience of the pandemic on pregnant and new parents is variable. There were some families, for example, let's say you happen to have a, 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 a it was a heterosexual couple and a father was away uh, normally at work, suddenly, some people had more support, but if you look at through things through the socioeconomic lens, um, and also when we analyze the data um, looking at ethnicity, uh, people from communities who already experience inequalities have found the pandemic incredibly hard and it's not getting easier. So I'm really proud to be working with lots of different charities to highlight the importance of investment in the early years. Children can't wait. They can't wait um, and parents can't wait. Um, so it's, and also highlighting the role that charities have to play. You know, there needs to be much more support from a statutory perspective in terms of 
uh, input in the early years. We and we're we've been supporting the development of that Andrea Ledson review. Um, Agnes uh, Ajipong, our brilliant head of engagement, had convened some roundtables to ensure that diverse voices helped inform the review, and that's ongoing work. Um, but also us as a sector have uh, connections with and are trusted by families um, who aren't always trusting of statutory bodies. So it's making sure that the role of charities isn't forgotten. And in August, we are going to be um, uh, launching one year on report. Some really great points there, Alison. I just wanted to tease out a few points that you made. You mentioned COVID-19 having magnified the challenges that parents face. Could you outline a few barriers or challenges that parents have faced during the pandemic, which had made them particularly vulnerable or made their circumstances more challenging? Absolutely. I mean, I guess it's so easy for policymakers or people lucky enough, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a home in the garden. You know, I've got somewhere and, and my kids are older. But if you imagine you're in a really small uh, flat and you've got three or four or more children and you can't go anywhere and you are either a single parent or you are you one or that you're a one income family and you're fighting for survival in terms of those basic needs of, of, of food for your family and um, the, the basic needs, the idea that you're also having to manage the challenges that come inherent with parenthood. Um, also, a lot of the findings from the Babies in Lockdown report taught, kind of shone a light on the lack of face-to-face contact that was happening and is still happening. You know, there are children falling through the cracks everywhere at the moment. And this is an ongoing issue. This hasn't stopped because we're not where we were in terms of the intensity of the pandemic. So it's about not having those touch points with the midwives and the health visitors already feeling isolated and anxious um, and having nowhere to turn, not knowing what's normal, what's not with your child. And parents reporting significantly increased anxiety, their babies being, the behavior of their babies being affected. So challenging and so motivating for me and uh, my team and everyone who works in this space. You know, how lucky are we to get up in the morning and do something that we know is making a difference? But my goodness, the need has just increased. goes back to your earlier point, Alison, children can't wait and parents can't wait. You know, there's abundance of research to show that if children fall behind early on, it's very hard to catch up, which is why we need to support them now, particularly because of the pandemic. And if we're not there to support them now, this will cost us and cost families and our communities and the rest of society many fold in the years to come as well. So it's vitally important that we are there to protect the future generation, future leaders, the future change makers. And we've discussed COVID-19 being a particularly challenging time for everyone, charities, individuals, society. But what have been some of the positives that you can take out of COVID-19? What have been some of the key opportunities that you've seen as as a leader of your organisation? And do you think that these opportunities are likely to stay for the longer term as we see the challenges grow as well? 
yeah, I guess it's a bit like the story behind the setting up the charity from adversity comes the opportunity to make a difference. So um, I guess there are some there are some good things that have come. It's a very weird sentence to say, how can anything good come out of this pandemic? But 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 the things that have come out is one, no one can pretend now. It's a combination of the pandemic and Black Lives Matter. No one can pretend that they don't know about inequalities in the UK. And the reality is for the first 12, 13 years of the charity, I was working to reduce inequalities and people didn't really, that's all many people didn't really know it was a what I meant. Whereas it's on the news, there's increased awareness of the inequalities. With that then can come change because you need to acknowledge as a society what's happening before you can move it. Another uh, thing that happened is that Baby Buddy, I guess, came into its own. So many other charities have done an incredible job pivoting to do stuff digitally when they had been doing things face-to-face, -face, whether it's Zoom or other methods. Um, and I've been so impressed to see how quickly charities have moved. Um, we, as an organisation, have been digital first for many, many years. So there was already Baby Buddy out there. Um, and the feedback we've had has been phenomenal. Um, and also the level of usage. So, for example, uh, we looked at, uh, for the Babies in Lockdown report, actually, we looked at the first 104 days, that first lockdown, at the data. Um, and nationally, uh, across the UK, BabyBuddy users, 65% of users were using the app on average every second day. So this isn't an app that people were downloading and using once or twice. Um, and about 50% nationally were using the app um, on average every day. 50% using it on average every day. And then we looked to Black, Asian um, and minority ethnic parents using BabyBuddy and that figure was 85%. So it was there as a friend, as a support. Every day, a little nugget of knowledge would come through, a little nugget of encouragement and signposts to support. So that was, um, it felt like all the work that had gone into making Baby Buddy had been useful since it was launched in 2014, but it, it felt particularly precious as a resource. And it still is out there now being used, except now we've got the kind of the new improved version, which also has content for fathers. Um, one of the other things um, that happened, which is something we'd started doing that we hadn't done before, and it was funding via the Department for Education that came via Bernardo's, this programme called See, Hear, Respond, where they worked with 80 different charities, very few doing the early year stuff, but uh, 80 different charities supporting children so no child should be left behind. And collectively, we supported tens and tens of thousands of families during that period. Um, at Best Beginnings, we supported over 3,000 families through See, Here Respond. And that was through uh, group sessions that we ran online, antenatal and postnatal, groups for mums, groups for dads, and mixed groups, um, and some same-sex couple groups as well. And the isolation that parents were experiencing became so evident in those groups, which sort of just reinforced what we'd learned from the, the Babies in Lockdown report, because that report was so important to write, but made such difficult writing and reading. So to then have the funding to be able to offer this additional support through See, Hear and Respond was 
gave some comfort, considerable comfort, um, and then also having Baby Buddy for all families. And then also within Baby Buddy, we've got this 24-7 crisis text messenger that families can link straight through to day or night. So I'm really proud of the the one-on-one support and the group support that we as a charity hadn't been offering before, but we have done through the pandemic, thanks to input from phenomenal uh, midwives and uh, very experienced um, educators, antenatal and postnatal educators and and, um, other professionals. The sad thing, though, is that funding stopped. So it's kind of, I I know I'm taking you on four seasons in one day emotionally, but but to have a a programme of work that was so effective and they didn't, the funding wasn't just cut for Best Beginnings, it was cut for us and all of the other charities. And we're still seeking funding to continue that vital programme of work. And it just goes to show that there is significant need out there, even if you reach tens of thousands of parents. Unfortunately, the pandemic, as you said, has magnified these challenges whereby parents who prior to the pandemic were not necessarily struggling due to the pandemic are now struggling. So you've got an additional cohort potentially of parents that may need some of this support, whereas a couple of years ago may not have needed that support. Is that what you're seeing as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I think um, also the impact of the struggles of the parents on the child. I, I... have to always talk about this very, very sensitively because, you know, if you're having a, a hard time, if you're experiencing depression or anxiety, you just, the key thing is we need to focus that on supporting that parent to get better. And it's really important that they get the support and help they need because uh, the impact of uh, maternal mental illness on the child is there. Um, bonding and attunement, all those wonderful things when things are going right are protective for life. The early conversations, you know, if I'm chatting with the baby, ooh, ah, oh, back and forth, the mum and the dad, the mum and the baby or the dad and the baby, those being able to attend to your child and respond to their needs is brain building. So it's really important we support families so that they can then support their babies. And we are still living in uncertain times. We don't know whether there will be another spike of coronavirus. We don't know whether there will be another lockdown. As CEO of Best Beginnings, what measures are you taking to ensure that you still respond effectively to another potential lockdown and therefore the challenges that represents, as well as keeping an eye on the future and looking three to five years ahead? We've been homeworking as a charity since the first lockdown. Um, Our work, we miss each other terribly and we brought on some fantastic new members of the team that I've never actually met physically. And we are returning to work, the plan is, in the autumn. Best Beginnings as a charity is particularly resilient to the pandemic because so much of what we do is digital and because uh, I guess we innovation is kind of at the heart of everything that we do so we were very quick to embrace you know lots of charities did as a sector the charity sector has been phenomenal but the well-being of teams and kind of lots of regular team zooms and uh, Christmas pantomimes you know thanks to Peter Duncan of Blue Peter fame we all got to see this wonderful pantomime all together on zoom Um, so so there is a piece around supporting the morale of the team and helping us feel connected when we can't always be connected. 
Um, we, um, from a funding perspective, I mean, that's my primary concern. We have such ambitious plans. You know, later this year, we're going to be launching a five million pound kind of, we almost consider it a capital appeal because it's it's to build with all these other early years part, digital partners that we're working with content to support parents to the fifth birthday. So, you know, it's going to be a five million pound appeal. I'm kind of preempting this, maybe I shouldn't be saying it out loud yet, but also we're, we're seeking significant funding from the National Lottery to match that. Um, we're very clear about where we're going, which is to continue what we're doing and we know the impact it's having. So we've got evidence of reach and impact of baby body and we're taking that to scale. Um, whilst also, I guess, juggling the realities of the fact that lots of the funding that came through in 2020 was COVID pots that were available because of the pandemic. And we are certainly sensing that there is less of that funding available and the impact of the pandemic on major donors and corporates. You know, there's a, there are there's uncertainty in this space. Um, I think because our core proposition, what we do um, and the impact that we've been able to evidence is, is there and solid and strong, um, we are confident that funding will continue to flow to ensure our work makes a difference, to enable us to directly create resources to support families, but also to support many of the partner organisations that we work with. Because it's not only about best beginnings or any one charity, it's about what we do together as a charitable sector. So I think we need, as a charitable sector, to look out more for each other. So it, it, it's making sure that you don't lose sight of where you're going or where you were going as a charity before the pandemic. And we, we've been kind of single focused. You know, we're a charity that exists to support parents to the fifth birthday. But to date, we only support them to the first. So, you know, we know where we're going um, and ensuring that as we grow, um, continue to disproportionately support the families who need it the most. Whilst also grappling with the, the challenges and the joys of, of team working, but team working often at a distance, maintaining the energy and the cohesion and the conversations, and also supporting the mental health of the team. Mm. So we've been long committed to ensuring that the whole team at Best Beginnings has done mental health first aid. Um, and that training has continued online. Um, and um, it's just, at an example of in theory, we're being trained and we're training each other so that we can support people out there. But for anyone that's done mental health first aid training, at the heart of it is the importance of self-care. So actually it enables conversations within the organisation so that, so that there's nothing that can't be said and it's okay to say to your line manager if you're not feeling okay or to your colleagues if, if, if you wish. Ultimately, we need to look after the team because it's our team and our parent panel and our, you know, our supporters who are enabling all the work, but not losing sight of where we're going collectively because of that, you know, that motivation that we have each and every day to get up to make a difference. It's brilliant to hear, Alison, your very clear vision for the organisation and that comes across in abundance. And I I couldn't agree with you more about the importance of mental health for employees because this year has been a year like no other. Colleagues have been furloughed, they're working from home. 
we've got homeschooling that has gone on to you know, particularly fundraising teams and smaller grassroots organizations needing to raise significant funding due to the emergency need of COVID-19. So all of these things mixed into the pot make it for a very challenging year. And I think it's so important that we support one another within the sector because it's only when we care for ourselves as individuals that we can give back to society and do our jobs more effectively. Absolutely. And it's interesting because that has been a challenge when you're so committed to the work. It's about helping the team. And I don't always lead by example, but I'm really working on it, you know, having those proper breaks. Having, we, we, we do, you know, walking meetings, you know, get away from the Zoom, have a meeting on the phone, take that time away from the screen. Otherwise it can be dawn to dusk, back to back Zoom. And that's not good for anybody. Yep. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a balancing act, and I think we're all learning, and it's uh, we we are supporting each other, and I guess that's all we we can do. Absolutely, and as a sector and as individuals, we are very passionate about what we do, and we're always stretching ourselves to go the extra mile for our beneficiary, which is so which is what's so great about our sector. But at the same time, we mustn't lose the fact that we still need to look after ourselves and also look after colleagues around us that may be going through a difficult time and being there for them in that in that period. And another area that I wanted to focus on, Alison, which has been clear throughout our conversation, is the importance that you put on diversity and inclusion. And in a lot of your answers, a key theme has been being able to listen to your beneficiaries, being able to get different voices around the table. And as you know, an important area which has come into the fore in the last year has been around equity, diversity and inclusion, or the lack of it in our sector, mm. particularly after the murder of George Floyd on the 25th of May 2020, leading to the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. So I just wanted to get your perspective on this. What does equity, diversity and inclusion mean to you? And more importantly, what is Best Beginnings doing to ensure genuine change within this area? It's something I'm passionate about. Um, and it's something everyone in the team is passionate about. Everyone's there on their own place on a journey. We're all on a journey. We can always all do better. And I think that's the key thing. There can be no one that thinks that they're getting this. If you think you're getting it right, then you're not, is my feeling. But you can aspire. I think I guess we we aim for excellence in everything that we do. So it's um there are so many different aspects to this. It's one of the key things is diversity in all its forms. Um, and, um, and also the intersectionality of things. And uh, too often things are thought about in, in the singular and there's not enough focus on intersectionality. So, um, and, and I'm very proud of the diversity within the Best Beginnings team. Um, we can always do more. Um, but what I love with the diversity we have within the charity is the different perspectives and um, insights that one gains. Uh, you don't get that. Um, it's about also creating that safe space where people can share when they don't feel things are right. So I think there's a bit around we're constantly working on this and it's sort of it's an ongoing uh, commitment and uh, program of work, you know, with external input and um, internal input and uh, inclusiveness is, is one of 
our values, one of our core values um, is inclusive. Um, and there is, um, it doesn't have to be like this. I guess that's the key thing. People are people and everyone deserves support and to be understood and to be heard. No one wants to be told what to do. No one deserves to be told what to do. What we deserve is access to information, access to support. And too often discussions around inequalities look at life through a deficit model, looking at the uh, lack of things within particular community, whether it's funds or whatever it might be, as opposed to looking at the strengths and the capabilities of uh, different communities or families from different backgrounds. Um, and so that kind of asset-based approach where we're listening to, working with, walking alongside is something that um, I'm very proud to do. But the truth is, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. So it's all very well and good me sitting and saying, Baby Buddy was developed through the lens of something called proportionate universalism, which I don't know if you've come across it as a phrase, but it's, it's kind of a brilliant uh, uh, public health doctor called Professor Sir Michael Marmot, he coined the phrase, basically means it's for everybody, but to be particularly useful or with an intensity for those that need it the most. So baby buddy was developed through that lens back in 2010-11, when the report by Sir Michael Marmot was first published. It was published highlighting the importance of the early years and the importance of uh, approaching reducing inequalities by creating interventions that are for the whole population but with this steely focus on ensuring there's an intensity and a focus on supporting those that need the support the most anyway so I can sit here and say baby buddy was developed from uh when it was conceived 2010 and 2011 really it was happening through this lens of proportionate universalism but what does the data say and the in-app data tells us that it's being more used and as much, if not slightly more, enjoyed being used by families from different communities. And I've been asked to speak at many meetings saying, how have you done this? This is impossible. Digital is all about digital exclusion. And let's be clear, there is digital exclusion. There is digital poverty. And that is a real thing and we are seeking separate funding to see what we can do to plug gaps so no family shouldn't have access to what they need and what our data shows is that if you are profoundly committed to co-creation if you really believe in listening to and understanding the needs of different communities different families families of different backgrounds blow me down they use it it's not rocket science, and yet all too often there is a tick box to a co-creation exercise. Um, and uh, then the people don't come. People use your intervention or services if they've been involved in its development. It isn't rocket science. I'm realizing I'm sounding very forthright, much more than I was expecting. It's been quite an intensive week, and I, I, I feel I've suddenly got myself on my soapbox or whatever it's called. It's, it's amazing to hear that passion, Alison, and I couldn't agree with you more, particularly your point around EDI and intersectionality. That's often an area which is not really highlighted in this whole debate. You can't uh, put people in boxes and intersectionality is a huge 
an important part that we need, need to acknowledge and address. It's also about having a great team environment and a great team that allows you to give you diversity of thought, tackling problems and coming up with innovations that would serve our beneficiaries. Also, I really like to point around working in partnership with communities and focusing on strengths of communities. That is something that came through really strongly. And I think is really important. Yes, yes. What we're proud of is to work in collaboration with many different charities and grassroots organisations. It's not just about as beginnings creating resources for families. It's how we also work with so many different charities and grassroots organisations. And we're really proud to work with many different grassroots organisations who have such a trusting relationship with their uh, communities that they support. Um, so it's that idea that no organization or even group of organizations can really shift things it's what charities can do when we're working uh with midwives with health visitors this is in the early years space with with gps but it's about um ensuring that families are at the heart of everything that we do thanks alison and we we'd like to end with two quick fire questions one what is the most frustrating area about our sector and two what do you love about our sector funding has always been the rate limiting factor i um yeah we do as a sector such important instrumental work that is so much of it you, you can't put a value on it you know to empower citizens to give uh, individuals agency to look after themselves and access to the support they need. You can't put a value on that. Um, and maybe it's also partly because of the way that we've worked. We've been a bit, we have been ahead of the curve in terms of kind of apps before apps were a thing or, you know, driving for funding for fathers in 2012 and being really gutted that I didn't get the funding now last year, having got the funding so that we could support fathers as well as mothers. But this idea that the ideas are there, that potential to have that um, increased impact is possible and that the funding um, is not always in place. That, that said, I am so grateful, as all charities are, charity CEOs are, for the incredible generosity and support of individuals, trusts and foundations, corporates and others that do invest. And my goodness, what a legacy they're leaving by doing that. Um, I just uh, would it would just be thrilling if more people did so that we could increase our reach and impact. So what I love about the charitable sector is how lucky are we, uh, those of us that are employed within the charitable sector, to wake up every day knowing that we're making a difference, to get to work with awesome people who are passionate about what we're doing in the world. Uh, I mean, I just think that is something incredibly um, special that people who might have kind of work in high-flying international jobs uh, in, in the corporate world, um, they don't get the joy that we get in our work. They might get different joy, um, but this is a complicated world and it can sometimes feel that the problems of the world are too great. But actually, if we all get up every day and know that we are making a difference, that's just a very uh, motivating thought that keeps me and everyone in the team um, going. 
Thanks, Alison. And, and where can people find out more about Best Beginnings work? So we have a website, which is the Best Beginnings website, www.bestbeginnings.org.uk. We also um, have a YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash best beginnings. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Um, and there are so many ways for people to get involved. We, we love the people that volunteer with us. We love the people that uh, benefit from our work and, and, and donors. And um, we would just be delighted to hear from you. And you could just, if it's a general inquiry, it's info at bestbeginnings.org.uk. If anyone listening is uh, a parent or a parent-to-be and wants to join our parent panel, then it's parentpanel at bestbeginnings.org.uk. Thank you, Alison. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. I've really enjoyed it. And I'm really looking forward to hearing all the great work that Best Beginnings will go on and to do. And hopefully we can catch up sometime in the future and talk about that too. I'd love that. I do want to thank you, um, Asman, for these amazing podcast that you do I feel very honoured and delighted to be part of this series um, and yeah no kudos to you for shining a light on on the charitable sector since the recording of the podcast Alison has confirmed that the updated app is available for beta testing and is ready to download from the App Store or Google Play. You will find it if you search for Baby Buddy and download the purple icon. The team from Best Beginnings would like to invite everyone to become a beta tester and be part of the journey and help shape it prior to the official launch later this year. We hope you found this conversation insightful and please do share your comments with us on social media or on our email, charitychatpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and that leads me to thank our corporate sponsors, Charity People, our platinum sponsor, Magda Aksumit for our website design, Giant Squid Audio Lab for our podcast kit, and Forrester Fools, who have been playing throughout and are playing us out now.